Well, happy Easter, community of faith. I'm so glad that you've chosen to worship with us, that you're here. I love Ashley's story. I love to hear all of your stories of life change. And we have so many hundreds and hundreds of people that have just seen that happen in their life. You know, I love Easter at Community of Faith. We always have so much fun. We had the big helicopter egg drop out there just a, a, a few minutes ago, and the kids get so excited. I'm always nervous with the Easter bunny flying the helicopter, but you know, it's like, it, it, was, it was interesting because a guy came a few weeks ago, he came to church in a helicopter. And I was like, okay, that's good. That's a good way to come to church, I guess, you know, especially if you're from a way off. And, um, and he said he could drop eggs for us on Easter. I was like, sure, let's do it, you know. So we just have a good time. And I love that the little ones, this little three-year-old that was out there, he said, I saw a helicopter and a baby helicopter. And, I was, and then I realized our drone was up there taking pictures too, you know, so... It's kind of cool. The, the helicopters are having babies. I, <laughs> I love all of the stuff around Easter, the bunny, the eggs, the candy, the hunting eggs, and all of that. But we are here to worship the God of Easter. And I love that. Now, here's the thing. Unfortunately, a lot of well-meaning Americans have gotten really disillusioned with God but I feel like this God that we've gotten disillusioned with just might not be the real God of Easter. So I want us to take a look at that. In our story today, we see two of Jesus' disciples. It's on that very first Easter Sunday, and they are kind of in that same boat. You know, we had a, a Friday night service that was a good Friday service, and it was amazing, but it was also pretty somber especially if you didn't know the end of the story. Well, I want you to put yourself in these two disciples in, in their shoes. They don't know the end of the story. And they're discouraged. They're depressed. I mean, Jesus has really let them down. So if we can put ourselves in, in their shoes, when I think about it, maybe it's not even that hard for you because a lot of us, we feel like that too. Like, God has let us down. There were some things that we expected him to do that he didn't do. There were some prayers that we prayed that we thought he was going to answer that he didn't do like what we thought he was going to do at all. And we've gotten disillusioned and, and unbelief has crept in. And maybe even like these two guys, they've kind of given up. They're, they've just decided, hey, going back to my little town, they lived in a town about 17 miles away from Jerusalem called Emmaus. And they're headed back kind of like Back to stuff pre-Jesus. We thought he was the one, but he's not the one. We're disappointed. We're discouraged. We're disillusioned. So I want us to look at that story today and see if you see yourself maybe in that too, okay? Luke 24, let me just read it to you. Later that same day, two of Jesus' disciples were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, a journey of about 17 miles. They were in the midst of a discussion about all the events of the last few days when Jesus walked up and accompanied them in their journey. They were unaware that it was actually Jesus walking alongside them for God prevented them from recognizing him. So on Friday, they had watched Jesus die. And with his death, all of their dreams, all of their hopes, all of their understanding of what their life was going to be like, was over. Did God even exist? If he did, does he care at all? 
So it's Sunday, and several of the women who were following Jesus had gone out to the tomb to anoint his body, and they found it empty. They came back, running back, said some, there were two angels that appeared and said, he's not here, he's risen. But that just seemed kind of too fantastical to believe. So their despair really just grows deeper. I mean, they had come to Jerusalem with Jesus, but the dream was as dead as he was. So they're headed back to that old pre-Jesus life. And as they're walking home, talking about the crucifixion, talking about all that's happened, even trying to figure out that empty tomb thing, Jesus comes alongside them and begins to walk with them. He's risen from the dead. And so he's walking there, but they don't recognize him. In the original Greek of the New Testament, it says their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Why would God do that? I think it's because God wanted them and us today not to see the old familiar Jesus that we think we know inside and out, but to see the Jesus who really is, the God who is so other than us, so far above us, so beyond our comprehension, a God who's always good, but sometimes he doesn't appear to be good in our lives because we can't understand the whole story. And so let, let's take a look at that. And, and just in these next several minutes, I want to, you to see if you see yourself in this. Let's pick up the story in verse 17. Jesus said to them, you seem to be in a deep discussion about something. What are you talking about? So sad and gloomy. They stopped. And the one named Cleopas answered, haven't you heard? Are you the only one in Jerusalem unaware of the things that have happened over the last few days? You know, I love everything about the Easter story, but I think this part of the passage is one of my favorite parts, and I'll tell you why. I love that it says Jesus just came up alongside them and accompanied them in their journey. In the midst of being sad and gloomy, in the midst of this, what they thought was a horrible, terrible day, Jesus just comes up alongside them. He walks with them. That's the Jesus of Easter. That's what Jesus does. He comes alongside us in our journey, wherever we are, whatever's going on, however we're feeling, and he joins us. He walks with us. That's so encouraging to me. And you know, these two guys, they think Jesus is dead. They think he's gone. They think he left them. That's what they're feeling. In the darkness and despair, they don't even recognize that Jesus is right beside them. I think oftentimes we're the same way. We come to difficult times in life, dark times in life, and, and it's easy to think that God doesn't really care, or maybe he's not here, or, or he's a million miles away. But it would be our feelings that are far off, not Jesus, because the Bible says he comes alongside us on those dark days, in those hard times, in our despair. And I love that about him. That's the God of Easter. Let's go on. Jesus asked, what things? The things about Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they replied. He was a mighty prophet of God who performed miracles and wonders. His words were powerful, and he had great favor with God and with the people. But three days ago, the high priest and the rulers of the people sentenced him to death and had him crucified. But we trusted that it had been he who should have redeemed Israel. And besides all this, today's the third day since these things were done. Early this morning, some of the women informed us of something amazing. They said they went to the tomb and found it empty. 
They claim two angels appeared and told them that Jesus is now alive. Some of us went to see for ourselves and found the tomb exactly as the women had said, but no one has seen him. You know, in Israel at this time, all of the rabbis, the the Jewish rabbis were basically in agreement that women could not uh, testify in court. They couldn't give witness in court because they believed that women were unreliable. So if you're going to make up a story that's not true and you want people to believe it, in this day, you would have had men be the witnesses. You wouldn't have put women in the story because nobody would have believed that. So to me, this is just another proof that this actually happened. These things took place because the writers in Luke would not have written that women were the witnesses, but they did. So these are things that actually happened. And I think because of their culture, Cleopas and his fellow traveling companion were probably having trouble believing the women. They'd seen Jesus arrested. They'd seen him beaten near death. They'd seen him nailed to the cross. And then they watched him die. They just didn't believe anymore. They'd lost all hope. It didn't make any sense. And again, we see Jesus come alongside and walk with them in the midst of their doubts, in the midst of their unbelief. It didn't matter to Jesus. He came to them anyway. They didn't even recognize that it was him there with them. But he was there. And that's what Jesus does. And that's what he does for us too. That's the God of Easter. You notice in the verses that Laura read, it tells us plainly why these guys had lost hope. Because Jesus didn't do what he should have done. He didn't fulfill their expectations. Listen to what they said. But we trusted, we trusted Jesus. We trusted that it had been he who should, a big should there, should have redeemed Israel. They knew he was the Messiah, and they knew in their mind that the Messiah had come to rule and reign, to free them from Rome, to destroy Caesar and the Roman Empire, and free the world from that tyranny, and they knew that's what was going to happen. I mean, they had been walking with him. They had seen him take just a few little loaves of bread and a couple of fish and feed 5,000 people. And they said, this is awesome. The age of hunger is over. The Messiah is here. They had seen him heal the blind and the lame. And they were saying, this is awesome. The age of disability is over. He will heal all disability. They had heard his voice and him speak and no one spoke like him and they thought the Messiah is here the Messiah has come it's the time freedom from Rome is coming this is what it's all about they were trusting God to do something and he didn't do what they thought he should do they were trusting that God understood the importance of the agenda and they Thought the time was at hand. I mean, just a few days before, Jesus had come into town on a donkey and tens of thousands of people had lined the streets, putting palm branches down, saying, all hail King Jesus. All hail Jesus. You are the King. You are the Son of David. You're the Messiah. Hosanna. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna means save us now. 
He had come, and these guys are thinking, it's time. This is happening. The revolution has begun. At last, the dream is coming true. But suddenly, things took a terrible turn. Instead of grabbing a sword and raising a battle cry, they watched as he humbly submitted himself to the enemy as they bound him and they scourged him and they placed a crown of thorns on his head and ultimately they nailed him to a cross and they're watching as all of this is happening and they're thinking, what's going on? What? This isn't going the way that we thought it was gonna go. What does God do? Where is God in the midst of this? And they thought, okay, Jesus, well, we're, we're waiting. I know you're on the cross now, but turn the tables. Call those legions of angels down and just rip those nails out and come down, heal yourself and show that you're God. And they heard the mockers saying, he healed others. He healed all these other people, but he can't heal himself. And they're praying silently, heal yourself, Jesus. Come down off the cross, Jesus. Be the mighty warrior, Jesus, that we know that you really are. But then they heard his final cry and they saw him bow his head and breathe his last breath. Wait, what? Where is God? What? just happened. And because Jesus didn't meet their expectations, unbelief filled their hearts. And because of unbelief, they lost hope. They were disillusioned with the whole thing. They were disillusioned with God. But it was a disillusionment with a God of their own making. They thought they understood God completely. They thought they understood God's agenda completely but they had gotten it wrong. A God who didn't fulfill their expectations of what a God should do. You know, we're not any different, are we? We have expectations of what we think God is going to do or things that we think he should do. And when he doesn't come through in the way that we think, it's really hard, isn't it? But the thing is, the Bible told us that it was gonna be this way. Listen to Isaiah chapter 55. This is God speaking. He says, I don't think the way you think. The way you work isn't the way I work. For as the sky soars high above the earth, so the way I work surpasses the way you work. And the way I think is beyond the way you think. His ways are so different from ours. You know, these two guys, I noticed when they're explaining to Jesus walking alongside him, and they're talking about Jesus, they're not calling him the Messiah any longer. They're not calling him the Christ anymore. They're simply saying he was a prophet. You know, they kind of lost their faith. They lost their belief in who they thought he was. And now they're saying, well, he must have just been like one of the old uh, prophets of old who died because we watched him die. And you can see they believe that Messiah was supposed to come and liberate his people and Jesus is dead. He didn't come to do that, they're thinking, and they lost all hope that day. And I'm pretty sure in a room this size, with this number of people, there are probably some in here today who feel the same way. 
Maybe you've lost all hope. Maybe at one point you even believed and you even professed Christ as your savior and you followed him. You would have called yourself a Christian, a believer. But somehow God didn't meet your expectations. Things didn't turn out the way you thought they should turn out. And unbelief filled your heart and you lost hope. Maybe you were struggling in your marriage and you prayed, God, please save my marriage. And it ended failing and you experienced that grief and heartache. And even though the failure of your marriage was the result of personal choices and and actions on the part of you and or your spouse, you blamed God. We all do that, don't we? We tend to blame him. Maybe a loved one died. Maybe you lost a child. And you knew that God could have saved them, but he didn't. And your belief faltered. Maybe you thought that being a Christian would mean you're going to be happy and healthy and wealthy and comfortable. Maybe you thought all those issues that you were going through at the time were going to go away when you put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you even sent $100 into that TV preacher's ministry because they said all your financial issues would be solved, and, and that didn't happen. And suddenly you find yourself just out of hope and you begin to drift away. Maybe you felt like something was missing in your life and you thought, I'm gonna try going to church. And you start coming and you feel good. You're meeting some new people, you're learning some new things, but then because the church is made up of people, you end up getting hurt. Or maybe the leadership has failed you. And you just walk away and say, it's not what I thought, it's not what I expected. And you lose your hope. And I can tell you right now that the church is made up of human beings, even community of faith, and every one of us is going to fail you at some point. If you put your hope and trust in people, you will be let down. But when things get dark in our lives, when they don't get go as we expect, it's so easy to start to think, well, maybe God's not who I thought he was. Maybe he's not as strong as I thought he was. Maybe he can't do the things that I thought he could do. Or maybe he just doesn't really care. Maybe God doesn't love me. But we'd be wrong. And those two guys on the road that day were wrong as well. Their faith and their hope had been misplaced. And listen, I don't want you to miss this today. If you hear only one thing today, I want you to hear this. The reason that Jesus came, the reason he died on the cross was not to save your marriage or not to give you a life of health and wealth and happiness and goodness. He didn't come so that you could uh, have all of your dreams come true. The reason that Jesus came and the reason he died on the cross is because the Bible tells us we are all hopelessly lost in our sin. He came to change that for us. He didn't want us to be separated from him. Sin has produced that void that we feel in our hearts, that loneliness, the lifelessness that we feel. It produces the anxiety that we feel, the sin coming down all across the ages. And God looked at us and he knew there was nothing we could do. And because this holy God loved us, he sent Jesus here. Because he wanted to bring us back to himself. He wanted to be able to hold us close. And when we recognize that it's only through Jesus' death and the cross and his resurrection that he brings him back to us, to himself, and everything changes. He did what we could never do. That's why Jesus came.
And I'm not saying he won't do miracles for you and that he won't answer prayers when you pray to him because he certainly does those kind of things all the time. But the reason he came was because of our sin, to take our place. The disciples thought he'd come to redeem Israel, but he came to redeem you. You and me and them, he came to bring us back to himself. Dorothy Sayers was a friend of author C.S. Lewis, and she was one of the first women ever admitted to Oxford University. She was an author as well, and she wrote uh, detective novels, and she had a series of novels, which was her most famous, and the character in that novel was Lord Peter Whimsey. He was an aristocratic detective, and, and he was very successful, but in her books, he was also very lonely because he was single. It's interesting, if you read through the series, you get to about the middle somewhere, and all of a sudden you see uh, Lord Peter meet a new character. The character's name is Harriet Vane. She's a tall woman, kind of plain looking, and she's one of the first women to go to Oxford, and she writes novels about detectives. And these two characters fall in love and get married, and they solve crimes together. And you think, what's happening here? I mean, it appears that Dorothy Sayers fell in love with the own character that she created, right? And she wrote herself into the novels, and they fell in love, and she saved him from his loneliness and despair. It's interesting to me because I think Easter reminds us that God did the very same thing. He looked down, and he saw those who he had created. He saw us. And he saw us hopelessly lost in our sin, trying to extricate ourselves from the results of that, the despair and the heartache and the grief that we experienced. And he knew that there was nothing we could do to save ourselves. And so he wrote himself into the story and he sent Jesus to come and be the one to rescue us and save us and redeem us. That's the God of Easter, this holy God who loves you beyond anything you could ever fathom or imagine. And that's why he came. And this Easter, God wants you to know that the story isn't over. He's still writing your story. Look at what Jesus said to them and to us. You know, they had just given that big, should not the Messiah, should not the Messiah have rescued us from Rome. And he says this, then Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. You know, sometimes when I'm reading the Bible, uh, it, it's kind of like reading a text message because it's hard to, you know, depending on your view of God, you read it different ways. And a lot of people read this as really, you know, gruff in their face, like, oh, you stupid guys, foolish, you know. That's not what he's doing. You know, when you read a text message, sometimes you're going like, is that snarky or they mean that or are they being sarcastic, you know? Well, the Bible is kind of the same way because you don't have all the inflection behind it. But what Jesus was really doing, he was going, oh, foolish ones, and so slow of heart to believe. He, he was, it was a warmth to this that he was speaking to them. Slow of heart just means a heart that it, it very easily disbelieves, that very easily doubts God's goodness. So slow. See, Jesus had told them all along, what was gonna happen, but they could never hear it. He had said it over and over that he was gonna suffer and die. He told them on multiple occasions. They never heard that because it went against what they thought was gonna happen, what they thought should 
happen. And he goes on. He says this. See, the thing is, it didn't line up with their limited understanding of good because it was so limited. God's understanding of good was so different. And he goes on and he says, ought not. There he gives a should word. Like you said, the Messiah should have done this. I'm saying, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He was saying, God did something that you don't understand. You didn't understand the depths of your sin. You didn't understand how holy he was. You didn't understand how much he wants you and he loves you and he wants to pull you to himself. But the wages of sin is death. Someone has to die. Ought not the Christ have stepped into that place? See, there's only one way to God. It's through what Christ did as he took our place on the cross. The Bible says in the New Testament, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy set before him? Relationship with you and me. As he closed his eyes that very last time, it was you in his mind. He was God. He could see across the ages. He could see you. Must have had a little bit of a smile even as he died in all that pain. It's worth it. I'm pulling you to myself. See, if there are many ways to God, God wouldn't have had Jesus go through all of that. People say that. I said, wow, God must be a masochist, you know? He just, here, son, why don't you suffer and that'll be a nice way. There's a lot of ways, but, you know. No, there's only one way. And that's through what God did. Ought not the Christ to have suffered like this? When we interpret our suffering in the light of our little self-created stories in our tiny lives, we're so apt to miss the point. The disciples missed the point that very first Easter, and we get disillusioned, and we don't understand how our tiny lives map onto God's great story in this world. We're just gonna, uh, we're gonna miss it. It's gonna wreck us, just like it wrecked them. Of course Easter happened. That was God's plan all along. They simply didn't understand it. But it was there in his word all along. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things? You see, the God of Easter is always good. The God of Easter always keeps his word. The God of Easter is so far above us. And his understanding of what is good is so beyond us. And our understanding is so limited that there are going to be times that this great, powerful, omnipotent, all-knowing God is going to seem not good. It appears to our tiny minds that he isn't good. Maybe you're here today, you've lost faith. I don't want you at the end of time to fall into the same boat that these two guys fell into as they're walking with Jesus. Later, they recognize Jesus. And basically, they're going, oh, crud, we missed the whole point. We didn't understand anything. I want to take you to the very end of the Bible, the last words of Jesus in the Bible. It's in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, the last, next to last chapter of the Bible. And it says this, as John was caught up to see the end of time, he said, Jesus was on the throne. He says this. Let me just read it to you. Look at it. The, all the prophecies 
are now fulfilled, all of them. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more, mourning no more, crying no more, pain no more, for the first things have gone away. And the one who sat on the throne announced to his creation, this is Jesus, see, I am making all things new. And turning to me, he said, write what you hear and see, for these words are faithful and true. It is done. I am Alpha and Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I will see to it. What is he saying here? At the end of J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings, the hobbit Sam, who thought all was lost, he was in the midst of the final battle, and it looks like everything was going to be lost, and he gets knocked unconscious. When he comes to, he sees Gandalf, the, the, the great wizard, and some of my favorite words in all of that whole series. Sam says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. If is everything sad going to become untrue? As Jesus, the God of Easter, says, yes. I am writing the story, and mankind has scribbled a mess. We gave you dominion over this planet, and your very first forefathers fell on their face in sin, and that snowball of sin has actually broken your chromosomes even. Suffering, death, disease, heartache, selfishness, sin. But I have won you back. And not only that, I'm going to rewrite your story. I'll rewrite it. How is he going to do that? I don't know. But he said he's going to make it all new. How does he go back and rewrite your childhood trauma that has affected you so severely and made you think, God isn't good or he wouldn't have let me have that childhood. I don't know, but he's going to do it. He's going to rewrite it. I make all things new. Those deepest heartaches and sadness, he's going to rewrite that for you. I don't think you'll lose what you've learned from it, but it's going to be made different and new, a new story. Do we relive it? I don't know. I don't know how that works. But he's God. He's so far above us. We can't comprehend it. But I'll tell you, on that last day, no one in all of heaven, earth, and under the earth will say God isn't good because he's good. He's good. He's always good. And this is the God of Easter. This is the God of Easter. I am the A. I am the Z. I started the story. I'll finish the story, and I'll rewrite the part that you've scribbled up, and no one will be able to say the God of Easter isn't good. I read a, a story this week about a little girl who became hopelessly lost in a a deep woods, and this is a true story that her family began to search for her, and by the end of the day, there were hundreds of volunteers searching for her because they were afraid for her life, and it got dark, and they had to call off the search. No moon out that night, 
Early in the morning before the sun came up, her father goes back out into the woods, desperate. And as the sun came up over the hills, he come to a little glade, and there in that little glade, he saw her. She was laying on a big flat rock, sound asleep. And he called her name. He screamed her name out, and he started to run to her. And she woke up and wiped the sleep out of her eyes. And as he hugged her up, she said, Daddy, I found you. Daddy, I found you. And she just kept saying it over and over. Daddy, I found you. No, he found her. And this God of Easter, he's searched down. He's followed you. He's been there beside you all your life. Felt like he's a million miles away. Felt like you couldn't understand. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know how you could let this happen. But if we just turn around, he's right there. Can you find it in your heart to say, God, I'm going to choose to believe in the darkest moment of my life that you're still good and that you're going to rewrite the story. Sin has wrecked us, but Jesus came to rescue us, to save us, and to rewrite our stories. Not now, but there'll come a day. There'll come a day and you can trust him. Just close your eyes with me for just a second. God, this Easter, a lot of us, we thought we knew you and then we thought you let us down, but we didn't know you. You're so much bigger than that. You're so far beyond that. God, we thought you didn't care. And we thought you weren't good. Or sometimes we even thought maybe you don't even exist. Because how could you let this happen? But God, you're right here. You're not a million miles away. You're right here. You're right here. And you loved us so much that you tore out your very heart. And he came to earth. And he died on a tree nailed to a tree for us to take our place. And God, as we as your people, as we step into that and we trust what you did for us, you bring new life to us on the inside. God, help us to not have a slow heart this morning, but to have a heart that trusts, that believes. In spite of everything, in spite of circumstances, in spite of what it looks like, you will make this right. You will rule and you will reign and you will make it right. We believe that. We trust you. We choose to trust you when it feels like you're a million miles away. And those days that we actually know you're there and we say, God, I found you. We know it's not true. You found us. You always find us wherever we are. Thank you, God of Easter, for your presence here. Amen. I want you to do an experiment with me. I want, to, I want you to give God the next six weeks. If you're having a big struggle with this, if you have a million questions, you might consider yourself agnostic or atheist. We love you here. This is your church, man. <laughs> and uh, we love, I've got so many friends that are agnostic and, and struggling and trying to find the answers to this. 
But I truly believe if you'll give us the next six consecutive weeks and be here on Sunday, God's going to find you. Let him do that. I can think of no better way to close out an Easter service than with some people who are stepping into God's agenda full out. They're going to be baptized. And if you want to be baptized, I want you to go out there and get Change into some of those clothes. We got shorts and a t-shirt and stuff for you. You come in and get baptized too. That very first sermon that Peter preached, 3,000 people got baptized that day. So it's biblical. If you want to follow this Jesus, this God of Easter, okay? Our band is going to sing over you right now. And they're going to sing a song that's powerful. It's a prayer for your family. If your family needs it, don't leave yet. I know a lot of you are going to get out and go eat lunch and that's fine. But let me tell you something. They're going to sing a song. They're going to sing the name of Jesus over your family. And there's so much power that's been prayed into this song. I want your family to feel it as we baptize. Let's celebrate together. The God of Easter is good. Be back these next six weeks. We're going to find out even more about it. We're going to keep on baptizing. You want to be baptized, you come too. I love you, community of faith. I hope you have a great Easter day. And we love you with all of our hearts. We're for you. We're in this struggle together. I know life is difficult, but God is good. I love you. You have a great day.